Everyone loves to listen to a good book, and there are so many wonderful ones to choose, so we decided to bring you this podcast of Stories Come to Life. Each episode features a story from either classic or modern literature, especially chosen to be interesting and exciting to hear. So sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Welcome to Stories Come to Life. I am your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. It is with great pleasure that I am able to announce that Simon & Schuster Publishing Company has given permission for this book to be read out loud and shared on Stories Come to Life until June 30th, 2024. But of course, the episodes that fall under that special permission will all be taken down on that date, so listen now while they're available. After learning from the Tophams where the old Crowley clock has been stored, Nancy tried to figure out a way to visit Moon Lake without causing the Tophams to become suspicious. Then she remembered the invitation from her friend Helen Corning to visit a camp right on the lake shore. Delighted, Nancy drove to Moon Lake, where she hoped to visit the Topham's bungalow to search for the clock. Now sit back, relax, and listen to this story come to life. Nancy Drew, The Secret of the Old Clock Chapter 12, Following a Clue Although highly elated at what she had learned from the Tophams, Nancy Drew was at a loss to know how to proceed. Undoubtedly, the old Crowley clock was set up in the bungalow at Moon Lake, but to get there was another matter. Nancy was determined to profit by the information, but was confronted with a number of serious problems. Moon Lake was located among the hills 40 miles away, and the roads were not of the best. Nancy did not know the exact location of the Topham Cottage. Then, too, she needed an excuse for making the long trip. If the Tophams learn I have gone to Moon Lake, they may become suspicious, she counseled herself. I must think of some excuse to broadcast as a smokescreen. But try as she would, Nancy could think of nothing. She took a certain amount of pride in her detective work. And now that she felt she had struck a valuable clue, she did not wish to ask advice from her father. She preferred to solve the mystery herself, and then surprise him with the solution. At dinner that night, Nancy was unusually silent, and Carson Drew commented on her preoccupation. "'It seems to me you've been looking rather troubled lately,' he observed. "'Do you feel well?' "'Never felt better in all my life,' Nancy laughed." just the same. I believe you need a vacation. I realize that it isn't easy for a girl your age to look after a big house like this. After a time, the responsibility gets to be wearing. How stupid of me, Nancy exclaimed. In her excitement, she permitted a fork to fall from her hand and clatter against the plate. Carson Drew, who did not comprehend what was passing through his daughter's mind, looked at her in surprise. "'Stupid?' he inquired. "'Oh, I mean, it was strange I didn't think of Helen Corning before this,' Nancy said hastily, 
Helen is going to a girls' camp on Moon Lake. I'm dying to go to Moon Lake. May I start the first thing in the morning? I know I can get in. They have room for half a dozen more girls, Helen said. I think it would be an excellent idea, Nancy. A nice rest will do wonders for you. Go by all means. Nancy Drew was delighted that she had stumbled upon an excuse, which would make it appear natural for her to go to Moon Lake. Early the next morning, after packing a suitcase, she started off in the roadster. As it was not out of her way to go by the river road, she decided to stop at the Horners and give Grace the dress goods she had promised her. As she drove in at the gate, one glance told Nancy that something was wrong. She saw a number of dead chickens in the barnyard, and as the Horner girls came toward her from the direction of the hen house, it was evident that Allie had been crying. Why, what is the matter? Nancy asked quickly. Oh, it's my chickens, Nancy. They're all dying. I can't understand it. This morning when I went to feed them, I found ten dead. I'm so discouraged. And yesterday a fox took two, Grace added. I guess fate is against us. I'm afraid I'll lose all of my chickens before I get through, Ellie declared unhappily. I don't know what is killing them. They seem to have a strange disease. Allie is all broken up, Grace said quietly. She's worked so hard with her chickens. Most of them are pets. And then, we need the money so badly. Now that dressmaking has fallen off, the chicken money is our only means of support. Please, won't you let me help? Nancy begged, reaching for her pocketbook. Accept a little loan to tide you over. Grace shook her head firmly. Thank you for your kindness, Nancy, but we can't take your money. We'll manage somehow. If only Uncle Josiah had provided for us, Allie sighed. You haven't learned anything more about the second will, have you, Nancy? I haven't anything definite to report, Nancy replied, evading the question. She did not wish to raise false hope, and she thought it best not to tell of her discovery. But I'm still hoping we'll be able to trace the will. I doubt it. Grace commented pessimistically. I'm on my way to Moon Lake now, Nancy told the girls. I stopped here to deliver the dress goods. She handed a package to Grace. The pattern is inside and I'm easy to fit, so you'll have no trouble. Grace's face brightened as she accepted the bundle. Oh, Nancy, I can't thank you. It's I who should thank you, Nancy laughed. And now, let me pay for the dress in advance. Again, Grace stubbornly shook her head. Not until the work is finished. That isn't good business. Nancy saw that Grace and Allie were too proud to accept help and regretfully abandoned the idea of trying to give them money. I'll come back in a few days for a fitting, she promised, as she prepared to drive away. Nancy's talk with the Horner girls had left her rather depressed, for she realized that in spite of their pride, Allie and Grace would soon be forced to accept charity. Oh, if only she could help them. And poor old Abigail, Nancy thought. If Josiah Crowley had used a grain of sense, things wouldn't be in such a muddle. Nancy soon branched off from the river road, 
and headed south toward Moon Lake. The highway was little traveled, and it was necessary for her to devote all of her attention to driving. The road had not been dragged after a recent rain, and the ruts were deep. Jagged rocks and stones were scattered in the path, and it seemed to Nancy that the hills went straight up and straight down. Presently, she noticed that the roadster had taken a strange notion to turn to the left of the road, in spite of her efforts to keep it in the middle. Not without foreboding of trouble, she stopped the car and got out to make a tour of inspection. As she had suspected, a rear tire was flat. A puncture, Nancy murmured in disgust. If that isn't just my luck. Oh, well, I suppose I must fix it myself, because there won't be another car along for an hour on this road. It was not the first time Nancy Drew had changed a tire, but she never relished the task. Rummaging under the seat, she pulled out the tools and quickly jacked up the rear axle. She loosened the lugs which held the tire in place and tugged at it. Again and again she pulled, but the huge balloon tire could not be budged. Then, as she gave one mighty tug, it came off, and Nancy Drew fell backwards into a sitting posture in the road. Well, it's off anyway, she told herself with satisfaction, as she brushed the dirt from her clothing. It required but a few minutes to put on the spare tire and fasten the old one to the rear of the car. Then, in relief, Nancy started on her way again. But the accident had delayed her nearly an hour. It was after twelve o'clock when, at last, she came within sight of Camp Avondale, where Helen Corning was staying. Through the tall trees, she caught a glimpse of the long row of shacks and saw smoke rising from the cookhouse. Beyond, the blue lake sparkled and glimmered in the sunlight. As Nancy drove into the camp, a group of girls gathered about the roadster. Helen Corning came running out of a cabin to greet her chum. "'Girls, it's Nancy Drew!' she exclaimed enthusiastically. "'Now the fun will start. Park your car over there back of the cookhouse, Nancy.' "'Am I too late for dinner?' Nancy demanded. "'I'm nearly starved.' You're just in time, Helen assured her. Oh, Nancy, I'm so glad you came. So am I. How long can you stay? Oh, I don't know, until you get tired of me, probably. Then you'll stay for the rest of the summer, Helen laughed. Nancy was escorted to the main building of the camp, where she met the lady in charge and registered. She is to stay with me, said Helen, and so it was arranged. When the girls walked off, Nancy told Helen about selling the charity dance tickets and gave her the money paid by Mr. Topham. He surely was generous, said Helen in surprise. He did it just to show off, declared Nancy. I'm positive of it. Nancy scarcely had time to deposit her suitcase under her cot and freshen up a bit from her long ride when dinner was called. The food was plain but substantial and already she discovered that she had developed an enormous appetite. Dinner over, she was rushed from one thing to another. The girls insisted that Nancy join them in a hike. She returned to camp with a desire for a good rest, but Helen Corning had other plans. 
We're all going for a ride in the launch before supper, she declared. Don't you ever rest here? Nancy groaned. Oh, yes, at night. This is your first day here. You'll be used to it in a day or so. Either that or I'll be a wreck. But you don't want to miss the launch, ride, Nancy. You'll have a splendid opportunity to see all the summer cottages on Moon Lake. Summer cottages? Nancy asked quickly. Instantly, she thought of the Topham bungalow and wondered where it was located. Undoubtedly, the launch ride would give her the opportunity to find out. You'll go, won't you? Helen begged. You can rest after supper. Yes, I'll go, Nancy promised. You couldn't keep me here. Although she was tired, she was really enjoying herself immensely. Six girls loaded themselves into the launch, and someone started the motor. It's always a relief when the engine starts, Helen explained. Every so often it balks. As the little launch turned out into the lake, it seemed to Nancy that she had never seen a more beautiful sight. The sun, which appeared to be sinking down into the water, resembled a great ball of fire. Yet she did not forget the real purpose of the trip. The Tophams have a bungalow up here, haven't they? she questioned. Yes, it's across the lake from here. We'll come to it presently. The Tophams aren't there now. Oh no, the cottage is closed. There's an old caretaker who looks after it. And ne'er-do-well they call Jeff Tucker. Is it hard to get to the place? Oh, not if you go by launch. But it's a long way if you take the road around the lake. I didn't know you were particularly interested in the Tophams, Nancy. Oh, they're no friends of mine, Nancy returned hastily. I was merely curious. After a time, as the launch chugged along close to the shore, Helen waved her hand toward a bungalow that was set back some distance from the water. The Tophams own that one, she informed her chum. Eagerly, Nancy turned her head and looked. She told herself that she would remember the location. We're going to have a wonderful time here together, Helen chatted happily on. Next week, there's going to be a big dance, too. Oh, there's so much of interest at Moon Lake, Nancy. You'll stay, won't you? Involuntarily, Nancy's eyes swept the shore and came to rest on the Topham bungalow. You're right, Helen, she agreed heartily. There are a number of interesting things here. Yes, if you want me to, I'll stay. Chapter 13 An Adventure Nancy Drew had made up her mind to visit the Topham Cottage the very next day, but in making her plans, she had counted without Helen Corning and her friends. They were unwilling that she should be alone even for a minute. From the moment she awoke in the morning and sniffed the fragrant odor of the pines, she was rushed from one thing to another. After a breakfast of fruit, fried eggs, crisp bacon, and hot cornbread, she was pressed into a tennis game. The afternoon was devoted to swimming and water polo. By evening, Nancy Drew was so tired she could scarcely keep her eyes open, and she was thankful for the opportunity of tumbling into bed. Tomorrow I simply must find a way to visit the Topham Cottage, she told herself, just before she dropped off to sleep. Immediately after breakfast the following morning, Helen Corning announced the plan for the day. 
The girls have decided on an all-day hike into the woods, Nancy. You'll go, won't you? You're wearing me to a frazzle, Helen. Please let me off this time. I'd like to stay in camp today and just rest up. Well, all right, Helen agreed unwillingly. I'll stay with you. Oh, no, Nancy protested vigorously. I won't let you do that. You like to hike so well. Please go on. I'll have a good time all by myself. Really, I will. I don't like to leave you, Nancy, but if you insist... I do, Helen. Please don't worry about me. I'll have a good time here. If you don't mind, I may take the launch out while you're gone. If you do, you'd better not go far, Helen advised her. We girls bought it secondhand for a song, and it's my private opinion. The engine isn't much good. I'll be careful, Nancy promised. She could scarcely hide her eagerness to be off, but she was forced to wait until Helen and her friends had started on their hike. It seemed to Nancy that they would never leave, but at last they trudged away with their knapsacks slung over their shoulders. You'll wish you had gone too, Helen called back over her shoulder. As soon as the girls were out of sight, Nancy hurried down to the launch, which was tied to the dock not far from camp. She examined the engine. She had frequently handled motorboats, but never one of this particular make. I believe I can manage it all right, if only I can get the engine started, Nancy told herself. She discovered a pin sunk in the rim of a flywheel, and after adjusting other parts, pulled it out rather timidly. She gave the wheel a vigorous turn to the right. She tried again, swinging it farther and snapping back hard. To her delight, the engine began to roar. Cutting down the motor, Nancy steered out into deep water. At first, she followed the shore, but as she became more familiar with the wheel, and as the engine appeared to work perfectly, she headed out into the lake. Nancy experienced a real thrill as the little launch responded to her hand. The lake was as smooth as glass, and there was scarcely a cloud in the sky. As the launch cut through the water, a tiny spray blew in Nancy's face, but she did not mind. Far ahead she could see the opposite shore, and she headed straight for the point where she knew the Topham bungalow was located. If only the caretaker will let me in when I get there, she thought, as she drew near her objective point. But she was doomed never to reach the opposite shore that day, for, unexpectedly, there was a miss in the steady throb of the engine. The motor gave one long, slow wheeze and died. Oh, what can have happened to it now? Nancy cried anxiously. I can't have run out of gasoline. An examination of the tank revealed that it was nearly full. Nancy studied the engine doubtfully. She had never interested herself in the mechanics of what made wheels go round. Ah, hateful thing, she murmured. I believe it stopped on purpose. Too late, Nancy recalled that her chum had warned her about the engine. Now as she glanced toward shore, she saw no hope of rescue. She was within sight of the Topham bungalow, which appeared deserted, but miles from her own camp. For nearly an hour she worked over the engine, but her efforts were useless. 
The stubborn motor refused to start. I shall have to sit out here all day, Nancy thought miserably. This means I won't get to visit the Topham Cottage after all. It was especially tantalizing to be so close to the bungalow and yet know that she could not reach it. Nancy was tempted to swim, but she gave up the idea almost as quickly as it occurred to her, for she realized that even if she reached the Topham bungalow, she would have no means of returning to camp. She decided that it would be better to remain on the lake and wait for a passing boat to rescue her. Slowly the hours dragged on, and the launch drifted farther and farther from shore. Never had time seemed to pass so monotonously. There's one thing certain, Nancy Drew told herself. If I ever get out of this launch, I'll never set foot in it again. The camp boat seemed to be the only one on the lake, and as the day wore on, she began to wonder if she would ever be rescued. The sun beat down upon her, and with the passing hours, she became hungry as well as uncomfortable. After today, I'll never have another chance to visit the Topham bungalow alone, she thought. Helen means well, but she will stay with me every minute. I think the best thing I can do is to tell her that I'm starting for home tomorrow. That is, if I'm ever lucky enough to reach shore. On my way back to River Heights, I'll stop at the Topham cottage. Helen will be disappointed, but it can't be helped. For want of other occupation, Nancy turned her attention again to the engine. When the sun sank into the water several hours later, she was still bending over it, a determined look in her eyes. There, she muttered as she straightened up, I've certainly done enough to it. If it won't go now, it never will. She gave the wheel a vicious swing and, to her astonishment, the engine began its steady roar as unconcerned as though it had never stopped. If that isn't the limit, Nancy exclaimed in wonder. Hopefully she glanced toward the shore, but already shadows were beginning to lurk among the trees, and she knew that in less than an hour it would be dark. It's too late to visit the bungalow tonight, she decided regretfully. I'd better get back to camp before this engine changes its mind again. Obedient to her will, the little launch plowed through the water toward camp, its engine laboring faithfully. As she eased up to the dock, Nancy saw Helen and her friends just trudging into camp. They hailed her with delight. I'm nearly dead, Helen announced. You were smart to stay in camp, Nancy. She stopped abruptly and stared at her chum. Why, you're all sunburned, and you're covered with grease. What have you been doing? <laughs> Taking a sun bath, Nancy laughed. By the way, Helen, you were right about that engine, but I don't think it will give you any more trouble this summer. Anyway, I've donated eight hours to the cause. Eight hours, Helen gasped. You've not been out on the lake all that time. It served me right, I guess. I should have gone on the hike. But while Nancy made light of her adventure, she was disappointed. She had wasted a day, and time was precious. Would she ever reach the Topham bungalow? So far, she had been thwarted at every turn.
Chapter 14 An Exciting Discovery Nancy Drew, why are you packing that suitcase? You're not leaving camp already. Helen Corning, entering the cabin which she shared with Nancy, stopped in the doorway and stared in amazement at her chum, who was folding wearing apparel carefully into her suitcase. I'm afraid I must leave this afternoon, Nancy admitted regretfully. But you've only been here three days, Helen protested. Don't you like the camp? Oh, I've had a wonderful time, Nancy cried impulsively, and the girls have been so nice to me. I'd love to stay, but I can't. There's something important I must attend to at once. Can't it wait? I'm afraid not. I've waited too long already. But the dance, Nancy, you don't want to miss it. I don't want to, Helen, but I really must go this afternoon. I can't understand what's made you change your mind so suddenly. It was that horrid experience in the launch, wasn't it? Nancy Drew laughed and shook her head. She could not tell Helen her real reason for departing. So long as she remained at camp, she knew that Helen and her friends would not leave her alone for a minute. It would be impossible to visit the Topham bungalow on the opposite side of the lake without offering explanations, and Nancy was unwilling to disclose the purpose of her trip. In spite of Helen's teasing, she remained firm in her decision to leave camp. Directly after lunch, she slung her suitcase into the roadster and took leave of the girls. Regretfully, they watched her go. Now, if I can only find my way to the Topham bungalow, Nancy thought. The previous day, she had casually inquired from Helen which road led to the Topham bungalow, but the directions had been rather hazy. Coming to a fork, she selected the left-hand road, which appeared to circle the lake. As Helen had indicated, it was winding and narrow, and richly sprinkled with sharp rocks. From camp it was comparatively easy to reach the Topham bungalow by launch, but the distance around the lake was nearly eight miles. Nancy was forced to drive slowly, and had she met another car, it would have been difficult to have passed. In places the road was muddy, for overhanging trees and bushes protected the moist earth from the rays of the sun. The going was especially hard because of two deep ruts, which apparently had been made by a heavy truck. I wonder what a truck was doing up this road, Nancy mused somewhat curiously. The tracks appeared to have been made today, too. As she drove along, she noticed a number of summer cottages, but as the season was late, nearly all were boarded up. At last, she came within sight of a clearing, and through the trees, caught a glimpse of the Topham bungalow. I hope I'll find the caretaker, she thought. I'd certainly hate to go back without seeing him. Not without a feeling of anxiety, she stopped the roadster at the edge of the road. To her surprise, she observed that the tracks made by the truck did not continue further. Apparently, the truck had turned in toward the bungalow. Nancy hurried up the path. As she emerged from among the trees, she stopped short and stared ahead in amazement. The entire camp was in disorder. The front door of the bungalow had been flung wide open, and the side doors were likewise ajar. 
an overturned chair had been dropped carelessly on the porch, and a trail of knickknacks stretched from the house to the path. The grass had been trampled, and there were peculiar marks in the soft earth. There's something strange about this, Nancy murmured. Quickly, she bent down to examine the marks, which were clearly visible. At a glance, she saw that the footprints had been caused by heavy boots, and there were long lines, evidently caused by dragging boxes and furniture across the lawn. I think I'm beginning to see the light, Nancy told herself. Now I know what that truck was doing on this road. Unquestionably, it was a moving van, and it came here. Again, she examined the imprints in the soft earth. These marks couldn't have been made more than an hour ago at the latest, she decided. As she hurried on up the path, it appeared to Nancy that the camp was deserted. There was no sign of Jeff Tucker, the old caretaker in whose care the bungalow had been entrusted. Reaching the veranda, Nancy knocked loudly on the door. When there was no response, she boldly entered. What can this mean? she asked herself in dismay as she stared at the sight before her. The living room was in confusion. Save for a few pieces, it was bare of furniture. Even the draperies and curtains had been ripped from their rods. The rugs were missing, as was everything else of value. To Nancy's astonishment, she found that with the exception of one room, the entire house had been ransacked. Only one bedroom had been left practically untouched, and as she stepped into it, she noticed that the rug had been rolled up and securely tied, as though in preparation for moving. As Nancy gazed at the disorder about her, she searched her mind for an explanation. What could it mean? It looks like a case of ordinary robbery to me, she reasoned. Nancy had frequently read of cases where the summer homes of wealthy persons had been stripped of furniture and rugs by unscrupulous robbers who sold the valuables to second-hand dealers and fences. In recent years, there had been a number of thefts in the vicinity of Moon Lake, and as a protective measure, many of the cottage owners employed caretakers the year round. What had become of Jeff Tucker, the old man who had been left in charge of the Topham bungalow? The place seemed deserted. Nancy realized that the Topham bungalow, which had been expensively furnished, would offer a rich prize for thieves. Now, as she viewed the evidence, the suspicion which lurked in her mind developed into firm conviction. She was certain that robbers had ransacked the place, carrying off nearly everything of value. They must have taken the Crowley clock, too, Nancy told herself with a sinking heart. If they have, I'll never set eyes on it. A feeling of desperation came over the girl as she realized that again she had been thwarted. It seemed almost as though a cruel fate had ordained that the mystery of the missing Crowley will should forever remain unsolved. It's barely possible the robbers overlooked the clock, Nancy thought hopefully. 
she began to look about in nooks and corners of the bungalow. She opened closets and poked about in drawers, but her search was in vain. She found no clock. As Nancy returned to the bedroom, she regarded it meditatively. Why had the robbers left this one room practically untouched? Certainly the furniture was as valuable as that which they had taken. Unquestionably the thieves had intended to strip the room, for they had rolled up the rug. I wonder if they heard me coming and were frightened away, Nancy asked herself. I didn't see a sign of their truck, and yet I'm sure they couldn't have left here many minutes before I arrived. As the thought occurred to her, she glanced uneasily over her shoulder. She realized that she was buried in a wilderness some miles from the nearest house, and the knowledge that unscrupulous men were in the vicinity was anything but reassuring. What if those robbers should still be around here? flashed through her mind. As Nancy Drew listened tensely, the very silence of the empty house was startling. A strange feeling came over her. She could almost sense that someone was watching her every movement. Chapter 15 A Desperate Situation How silly of me to be afraid, Nancy Drew laughed nervously. Probably there isn't a person within miles of here. As she glanced about the bungalow, it was with relief that she assured herself the place was deserted. Yet, for some reason, she was unable to free herself entirely from the feeling that an unseen danger lurked in wait for her. The very walls seemed to smirk and grimace at her, and there was an ominous something in the air. Now that Nancy felt certain that the Crowley clock had been stolen, she was anxious to get away from the Topham bungalow as quickly as possible. I'll drive to the nearest town and report the robbery to the police, she decided. Those men won't be able to travel very fast with a heavy moving van. There's a chance they may be caught yet. Having made the decision, Nancy moved toward the front door. Passing a window, she chanced to glance out, and what she saw caused her to pause in sheer fright. A heavy-set man with a cap pulled low over his eyes was coming up the path toward the house. For a moment, Nancy Drew was held in a paralysis of fear. She was positive that the man who was coming toward her was one of the members of the robber band. Only an instant did the girl hesitate. Then she turned and ran back into the bedroom. Too late, she saw that she had trapped herself, for this room had no outside door. Nancy started back toward the living room, but before she had taken half a dozen steps, she realized that her escape had been cut off from that direction. The man had reached the veranda steps. Frantically, she glanced about for a hiding place. The bedroom closet offered the only possible refuge, and with scarcely an instant's hesitation, she stepped into it and closed the door behind her. Nancy was not a minute too soon. Scarcely had she shut the door when she heard the heavy tread of a man's hobnail shoes on the floor. 
Peeping cautiously out through a tiny crack in the door, she saw a rough-looking man come into the bedroom. His face was cold and cruel. As he turned toward the closet where she huddled, Nancy Drew held her breath, scarcely daring to breathe naturally lest her presence be detected. Apparently the man noticed nothing amiss, for his eyes rested only casually on the closet door. Nancy's hiding place was anything but comfortable. It was dark and musty, and old clothing hung from nails. As dust assailed her nostrils, she held a handkerchief to her face, lest she sneeze. If I sneeze, they'll be sure to find me, she told herself. They know well enough it isn't an animal, even a cat. She felt around and once came close to catching her hand on a sharp nail. Then she felt something soft on a shelf and imagined it was a sleeping cat. She drew back and then felt more cautiously. Only an old fur cap, she told herself in disgust, and probably full of moths. Gracious, now I feel like sneezing worse than ever. She held her hand over her mouth hard and waited in agony. But presently, the desire to sneeze passed and Nancy breathed more freely. When she dared to peep out through the crack a second time, she saw that two other men had come into the room. From their appearance, she knew that they must be members of the robber gang, too. The first man seemed to be their leader, for he proceeded to issue orders. Get a move on, he growled. We haven't got all day unless we want to be caught. Take that dresser out of here first. The two men lifted the heavy piece of furniture and started with it to the door. But they did not move swiftly enough to satisfy the leader, and he berated them savagely. If you were in such a hurry, why didn't you back the van up to the door instead of leaving it hidden in the bushes? One of the men retorted angrily. Yes, and have someone see us from the road, sneered the leader. Well, carry this out yourself if you think it's so light. From her hiding place, Nancy Drew watched the men as they deliberately stripped the room of everything valuable. Piece by piece, they carried out the furniture. But the girl was given no opportunity to escape, for the leader of the gang remained in the room while the others made the trip to the van. Well, I guess we have everything now, the leader muttered at last. He turned to follow his companions, who already had gone to the truck. But in the doorway, he paused for a last careful survey of the room. At that fateful moment, there came a muffled sneeze from the closet. The robber wheeled about. Walking directly to the closet, he flung open the door and exposed poor Nancy, who was crouching in the far corner. Angrily, he jerked her out. Spying on us, eh? he snarled. Nancy Drew eyed the man defiantly. I wasn't spying. Then what were you doing in that closet? I came to see the caretaker. Looking for him in a funny place, ain't you? sneered the man. Nancy realized that she was in a desperate situation. The look on the robber's face frightened her. I heard someone coming, and I was afraid, she explained lamely. Well, it was unhealthy business that brought you here, the man told her sharply. What did you hear in that closet? 
Without giving her an opportunity to answer the question, he added with a scowl, I warn you, this'll be the last time you'll ever stick your nose in business that doesn't concern you. As Nancy saw the expression on the man's face, there was no mistaking the ugly threat. One glance assured her that she could expect no mercy. The hopelessness of her situation gave her the courage to defy him. I didn't hear much, but I saw plenty, she cried. You're nothing but a common thief, and if I get the chance, I'll turn you and your gang over to the police. If you get the chance, that's good. The robber laughed mirthlessly. I'll do with you as I did the caretaker. The caretaker, Nancy gasped in horror. What have you done with him? You'll find out all in good time. The man held Nancy's wrists in a vice-like grip. Her efforts to free herself were of no avail. It won't do you any good to try to get away, her captor informed her. Nancy was desperate. Suddenly, utilizing every ounce of her strength, she gave her imprisoned wrists a quick upward jerk. As the action tore her hands free, she darted for the door. With a cry of rage, the robber was after her. Almost in one long leap, he overtook her, caught her roughly by the arm, and forced her against the wall. Not much, you don't, he snarled. Nancy struggled this way and that. She twisted and squirmed. She kicked and clawed. But she was powerless in the grip of the man. Little wildcat, you won't do any more scratching when I get through with you. Let me go, Nancy cried, struggling harder. The man half carried, half dragged her across the room. Opening the closet door, he flung her roughly inside. Nancy heard a key turn in the lock. The sliding of a bolt into place followed. Now you can starve for all I care, the man laughed harshly. Then the steady tramp of his heavy boots across the floor told Nancy Drew that he had left the house. Chapter 16 Left to Starve When the sound of the footsteps had died away, Nancy Drew was overcome with panic. A feeling of desperation came over her. She realized that the robber had dared to carry out his ugly threat. He had locked her in the closet and had left her there to starve. At first, Nancy was too frightened to think logically. She beat frantically upon the door with her fists, but the heavy oak panels did not give. Help! Help! she screamed. At last, exhausted by her efforts to force the door open, she fell down upon the floor, a dejected, crushed little figure. Maybe those men will come back later and let me out, she tried to encourage herself. Surely they can't be so heartless as to leave me here to starve. But even as the thought came to her, she heard the muffled roar of a heavy truck as it passed the Topham bungalow on the way to the road. With a feeling of utter hopelessness, Nancy heard the van depart. She knew for a certainty that the cruel, hardened rascals were indifferent to her plight. They had abandoned her to a horrible fate. 
The house was as silent as a tomb. Although Nancy had little hope that there was anyone within miles of the cottage, she again raised her voice and shouted for help. Her cries echoed through the empty house and seemed to mock her. Oh, why didn't I have sense enough to tell Helen Corning where I was going, she thought miserably. She believed I was starting for home. The girls will never dream that I came here. And her father thought that she intended to remain at camp for a week. He would not become alarmed over her absence until it was too late. Oh, if only she had never left her home in River Heights. Someone may find my roadster at the side of the road, Nancy reasoned, but it isn't very likely. Few persons pass this way so late in the season. And what had become of old Jeff Tucker, the caretaker? Certainly she could expect no aid from that quarter. The robber had hinted that he had done away with the old man, and knowing the character of the rascals, it was impossible not to believe the worst. As the full significance of the situation dawned upon the girl, panic again took possession of her. In a desperate attempt to break down the door, she threw her weight against it again and again. She pounded upon the panels until her fingers were bruised and bleeding. At last she sank down on the floor to rest and tried to force herself to reason calmly. I'm only wasting my strength this way. I must try to think logically. If I don't, I'm lost. Nancy Drew recalled that she had once read that it was possible to pick a lock with a hairpin. Feeling in her hair, she found a heavy wire one and began to work at the lock. But in the darkness, she could not see, and she made little progress. After fifteen minutes, she gave up the task in disgust. It's no use she decided miserably. I'm afraid I'll never get out. She began to think of her father, of Helen Corning, and other dear friends. Would she ever see them again? As despondency claimed Nancy, she was dangerously near tears. Resolutely, she tried to shake off the mood. This will never do, she told herself sternly. Surely there is a way to get out of here. I must keep my head and try to think of something. After a time, as a new idea occurred to the girl, she began to rummage about the closet, hoping that by some lucky chance she might find a tool which would help her force the lock of the door. She searched carefully through the pockets of every garment that hung from the hooks. She groped over every inch of the floor. She found nothing of value and the cloud of dust which was stirred up made breathing more difficult than before. The closet had become uncomfortably warm by this time. Then, unexpectedly, Nancy's head struck something hard. Quickly investigating, she discovered a narrow wooden rod suspended overhead. Evidently, it had once been used for dress and coat hangers, as it was fastened to either wall and ran the length of the closet. If I could get that rod down, I might be able to use it to break out a panel of the door, Nancy thought hopefully. It feels strong, and it's about the right size. She tugged at the rod with all her might. To her satisfaction, one side gave. 
Another hard jerk brought the rod down on her head. To her bitter disappointment, Nancy found as she examined the rod that it was too long to use as a ram. But after a little experimentation, she discovered that she could press it into service as a wedge. Inserting it in the crack between the hinges, she threw all of her weight against the rod. At first, the door did not budge. Archimedes didn't know what he was talking about when he said the world could be moved with a lever, Nancy murmured. I'd like to see him move this door. As she applied steady pressure to the rod a second time, she saw that the hinges were beginning to give. Encouraged, she applied more force. It's coming, she cried. Once more, she threw her weight against the rod. A hinge tore from the casing, and the door sagged. It was now easy to insert the wedge, and Nancy knew that success would soon be hers. Then, just as another hinge gave way, she was startled to hear footsteps. Someone came running into the bedroom, and a heavy body hurled itself against the door of the closet. The unexpected action stunned Nancy. Could it be that one of the robbers had heard the noise she had made and had returned to make sure that she did not escape? She discarded the theory as quickly as it came to her. The robbers were far too wise to tarry once their disgraceful work had been accomplished. Then, too, she had heard their moving van leave. Frantically, Nancy rattled the doorknob. Oh, you're a caged lion this time rather unsteady voice remarked. You're one of those tough robber boys, aren't you? Well, you won't get any more pilfering, because I've got you surrounded. Let me out, Nancy pleaded. I'm not a robber. The sound of a feminine voice coming from the closet nonplussed the man. Say, robber, are you imitating a lady's voice to throw me off the scent? If you are, it won't do you any good, cause I'm a natural-born, two-legged bloodhound. Nancy thought of a way to convince him. She let go her longest and loudest feminine scream. Oh, that's enough. Hold your sire and I'll let you out. There isn't a man in this world can make a racket like that. This way out, lady. Expectantly, Nancy waited. But the door did not open. Oh, my, she heard to her horror. I've gone and misplaced the key. This is your host, Catherine Lopez Luker. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stories Come to Life. Be sure to join us next time when we continue to listen to The Secret of the Old Clock. You can find a link to our podcast on the Marshall Public Library webpage, www.marshallpl.org. I'll talk to you again soon.